Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Start because uh, when I was asked to speak this morning, uh, some time ago, uh, I immediately thought uh, that I needed to speak on this particular passage of scripture. And, uh, and I thought I needed to use a, a birdcage as a prop. And really what I'm going to speak about this morning is the power of a God encounter when God's love brings freedom. And how really it's only God's love can give us true freedom. Here we are, the power of a God encounter when his love brings freedom. And I really wanted to start off by saying that I believe that God wants to give all of us a God encounter this morning. And I know that you all have come here with that in mind, that you want to meet with God, and I believe he wants to meet with you. And, and so his love is what gives us freedom. And we're going to read from this um, chapter of the fourth, fourth chapter of John. We're going to read um, the first, uh, third verse, actually just one verse, where it says that Jesus left Judea and departed for Galilee, for Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. I love the fact that it says he needed to go through Samaria. And some of your translations, it might say he must go through scenario. Jesus had a purpose for going to, to Galilee, or to, going to Samaria. He, he was trying to get up to Galilee and he was going to go through uh, the, the Samaria. He needed to have an encounter with someone and this person needed to have an encounter with him. And I think that for many of us who come this morning, that God needs, he really needs to have an encounter with you, but you need to have an encounter with him. And I believe this morning that this could be a God encounter for you, and let's believe that it's going to be. And he was going to go through Samaria to meet this particular woman. Now, I should say about Samaria, I should say that Samaria was a place right dead and dead center and it still is the head center of Israel. Israel is a long, narrow strip of land, and Samaria is right in the center. Sorry for knocking that. Uh, Jerusalem's down in the bottom. Galilee's up on the top. And of course, the most natural way to walk would be to walk, make the journey on foot in those days, right up through the center, through Samaria, and up to Galilee. But of course, it wasn't as as straightforward as that for the Jews, because for centuries there had been hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so the Jewish people didn't go straight up to Galilee. They went east out to the coast, right up the right-hand side, if you look at the map, up the eastern side, crossed over the Jordan, put themselves out to do all of that, right up to the top, and then crossed back over to Galilee, all so that they would avoid Samaria. It was a place where the Jews totally avoided it. They absolutely hated these Samaritan people. It was a place of, of, uh, a place of, of hatred and bitterness, sectarianism, and it all really went back to a time uh, met hundreds of years before, 722 year BC, when the Assyrian people had invaded the north and had intermarried and taken over and, and changed a lot of their customs and a lot of their religious stuff. And so the Jews hated these people because they saw them as being like a mixed race. And there was this terrible despising between them. 
And so when the disciples realized that Jesus was going to go through Samaria, they would have been absolutely and totally shocked because that was not what a Jewish person, especially a Jewish rabbi, just did not do that. There was such uh, hatred and sectarianism in that place. But Jesus was going to make the journey. And he was going to make the journey because he needed to meet someone. He was going to make the journey because his heart was full of love and he knew that this lady needed to have an encounter with him. Samaria was a place where there was a well. It says that eventually Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired from the long walk and wearily sat beside the well. And it was about noontime. It seems that, uh, that Jesus is always to be found near a well. I believe this church is a well. It's a place where living water can be found. It's a place where, where Jesus can meet with us and we can drink deeply from the living water. And, and so there was a well in this village of Sychar, and you can still go there today. We were, we were in Sychar last, last two summers, and you, we went up to the, one of the mountains because Samaria is, is an area uh, with, which is surrounded by mountains, and we went up onto one of those mountains and looked down, and you can look down at the little church that covers the well, Jacob's Well, that's still there today, 150 feet deep. And uh, one of my friends over in Israel has actually cranked up the, the rope and brought the bucket up and drunk from that well. And he says, it's beautiful, clear, clear water. It's still there today. And this is where Jesus sat, exhausted after his long journey. And Jesus was there waiting. He was tired. He was weary. But he was prepared to wait. And here's the thing. God waits for you. And he waits for me. How often is he waiting for us and we're too busy running around to actually stop and give him some time to talk to us because he, and to have an encounter with us because, believe you me, he wants to have an encounter with you and he's waiting for you. And I believe this morning he really wants to meet with you and he wants you to have an encounter with him. It goes on to say that soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And of course, as soon as he opened his mouth to speak to this woman, he was crossing over the male and the female divide. Because at that time in history, uh, the, um, a Jewish man, especially a rabbi, uh, if he was out walking in the street and his wife met him and was walking past him, he would have stared straight ahead and would not have spoken to her in public because it was a taboo. And male and female did not talk to each other in public. And so uh, Jesus is breaking all kinds of barriers. He's breaking all kinds of custom, customs and taboos. And he's speaking and asking this woman for a drink. You know, there's a saying that Jewish men uh, used to get up in the morning and thank God, first of all, that they weren't a woman. Secondly, that they weren't a dog. And thirdly, that they weren't a Samaritan. So that shows you where the packing order of the Samaritans were. They were the lowest of the list. And so here's Jesus, and he's actually breaking this barrier, and he's, he's not only speaking to a woman in public, but he's speaking to a Samaritan woman in public. 
And it says that Jesus was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. The woman, it says, was surprised, I'm sure she was, whenever Jesus uh, spoke to her. It says the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me to drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So he was, he was really saying to her, if you just knew who I was and that I have a gift for you. You see, he had the gift of salvation for her. He had a gift of freedom. He had a gift of love. He, he wanted her to experience what he had, but she didn't know who he was. And he was an if you only knew. And you know, sometimes I think we behave as if we didn't know. Sometimes we behave as though we didn't know that salvation sets us free, that, that God wants ongoing encounters every day to give us more and more freedom, to experience more and more of his love. And it's, it starts with salvation. It starts with the moment that we invite Jesus to come in and forgive us and to come and live in our hearts. But it's ongoing. It's ongoing encounters. And, and Jesus wants to give, give us more gifts. And, and we need to be open to that. And so this woman didn't know. And Jesus was saying, if you only knew. And of course, he's talking about something spiritual. But she's talking in the natural. And how often we're in the natural and we don't see the spiritual because we're, our minds are geared towards what's natural instead of seeing with the eyes of God and realizing that God's a supernatural God and he, he moves in spiritual realms. And so this woman didn't really understand. She goes on to say, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his, and, and his animals enjoyed? But you see, Jesus was talking about a spiritual well, not a physical one. He was talking about the well of salvation. There's a well of salvation in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah actually spoke about the well of salvation. Here's what Isaiah wrote. He said, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There's something about wells. This, this, this church is a well. And that's why we've, we've called, uh, you hear us talking so much, and the Tabar conference is coming up at the weekend. Tabar means well. And that's because we want to see wells that are open not clogged up with stuff, but wells that have been opened, reopened. Maybe churches that have somewhere lost their cutting edge, where we want to see them reopened so that the living water flows up. And we want to see wells reopened across this nation, but we want to see new wells springing up as well. And that's what Tabar is all about. And so Jesus loves he loves to give us the gift of life, and he loves to give it by giving us this water of salvation, this water that will quench our thirst. And, and a couple of chapters later, in John chapter 7, Jesus actually stood in Jerusalem, and he cried this out for everyone to hear, and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's because he's the living well. He is the living well. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus wanted her to experience this river that the Holy Spirit would give her that would flow out of her innermost being. 
But this Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And so that's in John chapter 7. But going back to John chapter 4, continuing this conversation with the woman, Jesus continues to talk about these wells and he says, anyone who drinks this water, he's talking about the natural, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them an eternal life. That's what God, that's the gift that God wants to give us. That, that we receive his spirit and this, this gift of eternal life begins to bubble up inside us. The, the woman was wise enough to know she wanted some of that. And she said, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. She's back into the natural again. She's still thinking buckets. She's still thinking carrying buckets. You see, she'd come to this well at 12 o'clock midday. Did you notice that? She came in the hottest time. He was waiting for her at 12 o'clock midday, the hottest time of the day. Why had she come at that time? Well, because this is a woman who was carrying shame. This is a woman, as we're gonna see, who had a lot of hurt in her life. This was a woman who was ostracized by all the other women in the community because the women in that community would have gone to get their water, brought their buckets, maybe six o'clock in the morning whenever it was cool. But this woman realized that she wasn't accepted by these women. She was ostracized because of her background, because of her sin. And so she had come at the hottest time of the day knowing that nobody in their right senses would be there at 12 o'clock noon, but guess what? Jesus was waiting for her. You see, we sometimes think we can run away, but you know what? He knows how to get us. He knows where to be at the right time, in the right place, and he was waiting for her. And so she's still thinking buckets. She's still thinking, how can I, what do you mean? I don't understand. And then Jesus says, he says this, go get your husband, Jesus told her. Now, Jesus was giving her an opportunity to actually share some of her life. He was giving her an opportunity for her to speak out. But you know what? This woman was so full of shame. She was so full of shame that she didn't want to say anything about herself. I don't have a husband, the woman said. That's as much as she was willing to give. I don't have a husband. And as I said earlier, I know all about that because I don't have a husband either. And some of you don't have husbands. And God knows all about that. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. And then he gives her this wonderful word of knowledge. He says, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with, that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. He didn't say this, he didn't expose her to shame her. He was, exp he was bringing things into the light. I often say if we want healing, we've got to bring things into the light. Jesus was helping her by giving her a word of knowledge. He was helping her to bring her, her life into the light so that she could be set free. But she still wasn't getting it. She still didn't understand. But he knew her brokenness. He knew this woman had gone through a lot. And you know, I don't, know, I don't know anybody that's gone through five husbands. I don't I personally know anybody who's gone through five. I know somebody's gone through three. But imagine being married five times and, and, and living with someone in, in that society would have been totally unaccepted to be living with someone and not be married to them. That would have been a no-no. But here she was, 
and she'd have been married five times. I don't know if that was divorce each time or whether some of her husbands died. I don't know whether she loved some of them and was really broke her heart over losing them or whether there was just a lot of abuse and a lot of hurt. I don't know what the... But I'll tell you something. When I, when I hear that she, was that she was married and had five husbands, what I see written over that is the word pain. This woman was broken. This was a woman who had experienced tremendous pain. This was a woman who was a captive in a cage. This is a woman who was ostracized and who felt different to everybody else. And she felt that she was in a cage and she couldn't get out. She felt she was judged. She felt rejected. She felt shame and she felt blame. You don't go, you don't go through five marriages without having those, if not all of those, at least some of those negative feelings. And I, I haven't actually put in the word fear there, but I'm sure there was a lot of fear in her heart about what the future held and what, her, what, what was going to happen to her in that particular society where it seemed she didn't have a friend in the world. Shame and blame, self-loathing, a lot of self-hatred, hurt, anger, Angry at the people around her. Angry about what happened. Why did God let that happen? Regret. Feeling misunderstood. Sadness. Deep, deep sadness and loneliness. That if only syndrome. If only I had done this or if only I hadn't done that. If only things were different. This is a woman who was carrying ashes from the past. Probably felt abandoned. Definitely experienced hatred all around her and especially, I believe, experienced a feeling of hopelessness, absolutely hopelessness. This is a woman, this is a woman who was hurting. This is a woman whom Jesus wanted to meet with. I suppose I just feel it's so important that we learn to be real because Jesus wants us to be real. He wants us to tell him the truth. And he could see this in her, he could see her brokenness, but she wasn't quite ready for it yet. She wasn't ready, so she changed the subject. She tried to get onto the subject of religion. That's always a pretty good topic, isn't it? To, to change the subject and start talking about religion because religion won't actually change anything. Only, only an experience with God, a new birth, only, only divine connection will actually change us. And it says, the woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. See, it's not the place. People, especially whenever I was younger, talked about going to their place of worship. It's not the place, it's the encounter. It's who you encounter. It's not the actual place. And Samaria today is surrounded by mountains. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal are the, the mountains of, of blessing and mount, mountain of cursing where Israel actually entered the land. And it's amazing when you stand on top of one of those mountains and you look on either side, the mountains surround this, this town and there's a, like a, a pass coming through here and going through there. And I, it always, I look at it and I always think, oh, no wonder it says that Jesus must need go through Samaria. There's a coming in and a going through and a moving through. And Jesus had come to this place. He had come to this place to meet with this woman. And he was wanting her to know it wasn't about where you were. It was about who you had the encounter with. 
You Samaritans, Jesus said, know very little about the one that you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You see, we can't really worship God until we receive his Holy Spirit, until we get our sins forgiven, until we receive him into our hearts, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And we can only experience salvation if we experience truth. We can only experience salvation when we, when we really embrace God's truth. Because Jesus said, the truth is the truth that will set you free. This woman needed to be free. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You see, she knew, she knew a certain amount. These Samaritans knew, they knew, they knew a lot. They had, because they'd intermarried with, with pagans, they had some pagan stuff, but they also had it mixed with some truth. And this woman knew enough to know that there was a Messiah promised to the Jews and that he was coming, and she was claiming it. And, you know, the Samaritans are still there today. We, we were there last summer, and we actually met this Samaritan leader who was dressed in all the regalia, and, and he was telling us so much about the Samaritans and how they believe they go right back and how they're even greater connection than the Jews. And, and they're still they're actually slaughtering their animals to, for live sacrifices. They do their own thing up there. There's not an awful lot has changed, actually. And all this, this, this regalia and all these great big ornamental outfit on him, and he spoke to us for quite a length of time. It was fascinating because the Samaritans and the Jews are still existing. And you see, this woman, she knew that Messiah was coming. She said, he's the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus, Jesus said this most amazing thing. He said, I am the Messiah. I would love us to kind of catch the, the reality of this. You've got to remember that Jesus hadn't even told his disciples that he was actually the Messiah. He had actually kept that very quiet. And, and even the people closest to him and the people... He, very few people he actually disclosed who he was. And here he is, he has put himself out of the way to come, this, this, to come straight through Samaria, to, to shock all the disciples that he was going to go this route. He's put himself out because he wanted to speak to this particular woman and he wanted to disclose who he was to her, the most broken of all the people you could ever think of, the woman that, that nobody else would even talk to in Samaria, the place where... where she was despised by other women and by the men in the town. And here Jesus is, and he's actually blatantly, openly saying to her, not just I am the Messiah, but in the Hebrew, it means I am. In other words, I am the I am. He was disclosing to her that he was God in flesh. Totally, totally unheard of in any other parts of the scripture in the Gospels. And do you know what? At that moment, she was looking into the eyes of God. You know, we can read this story 
and we can let this slip. You gotta get catch this. She was actually looking into the eyes of God, and she was looking into the eyes of love, because God is love. And as she looked into the eyes of Jesus that day, she was looking into love unadulterated love. She was looking into truth and love. She was looking into the eyes of somebody who loved her unconditionally. And all of that shame and all of that stuff that she didn't want to talk to him about, that she was trying to, to, to get away from, and she didn't, that she was trying to change the subject, all of a sudden this woman realized that he was looking at her and he saw right into her soul and he saw it all and he knew everything about her. He knew all about her shame. He knew all about her past. He knew everything there was to know and he loved her. He loved her so much that he was actually, in that moment as she looked at him, I believe his love was washing over her so that those layers of shame and hurt were washed right off her. And as she stood before him that day, I believe in all my heart that the love of God and as Jesus looked into her eyes, she felt for the first time in a very, very long time, she felt, in fact, she felt for the first time ever, this woman felt clean. This woman felt accepted. This woman felt love. All of these relationships, all of these husbands had not loved her in this way. This was something different. This was a supernatural love. This was the love of God that was covering her and washing over her. I believe it was pulsating over her again and again. And in that moment, something happened in that moment that changed that woman that she would never, ever be the same again. As she received the love of God and as she allowed the Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, to minister to her as he revealed who he was, something happened that night and then that afternoon. And that, at that moment, we're told, the disciples came back. It says, just then, his disciples came back. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Is this not a changed woman? This is a woman who actually dropped the water pot, the very reason she'd come to the well, she drops it because she has found life. She has found the living water. She has found forgiveness. She has found cleansing. Every stain has been washed away. This is a woman who is clean, who is accepted, who knows that she is loved. This is a woman who is changed. And this is a woman who, who actually is now free from that cage. She has been set free. At that moment, I believe, as she looked into the eyes of Jesus, he opened the door and she flew out of that cage. Reminds me of a beautiful verse in the Psalms, where Psalm 124, where David wrote that we can escape like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's the one who can set you out of your trap. He's the one who can take you out of the snare. He's the one who can set you free, that you can fly and fly out of whatever cage the enemy might try to put you into. It might be a cage where it's full of fear and insecurities. It might be a cage where memories are going round and round in your head and you can't get free from them. I tell you, Christ can set you free. Psalm 126, 
I love this as a, just a couple of verses when the, whenever the Jewish people were set free from Babylon. Here's what it says. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. I'll tell you, when we are set free and we realize that God has done it for us, there's a joy that is supernatural. What joy there is in knowing that we're forgiven, that we're set free. And what amazing things that we can, we can speak to others about. It says the other nations said, what a... What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Do you know what? God wants to set us free so that other people will look and say, wow, can God do that? And he can. God can do it. And, and I believe that God wants us to know that we are also sent. This woman, this woman ran out and ran to tell others. Look what it says. She told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be Messiah? Another translation says, is not this not the Christ? So it says the people came streaming from the village to see him. Dave and I had a conversation just in between uh, the last meeting and this one. And we were just laughing together at how when she ran away, when she dropped the water pot and she ran into the village, all the inhibitions about not wanting to see people, all the shame, it had gone. She wanted to tell everybody because she had, got, she had got living water and she knew she must share it or burst. And so she, it's flowing out of her and, she's, and the result was that many people came streaming. And then it says the disciples, as she had disappeared because she had gone in to tell everybody, and it says that the disciples, it says that, that they began to talk to Jesus and Jesus spoke to them about the harvest. Jesus said to his disciples, there are four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. This woman had already gone to the harvest field. He's talking to his disciples. He's talked to them before about this. He said, wake up and look around. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And what joy awaits both the the planter and the harvester alike. Do you know what? It reminds me of how Jesus wants us, once we know him, even if we've just got to know him, immediately he wants us to go and tell other people. We've got good news. We've got the answer that the world is looking for. He wants us to go out to the harvest field. And what is the harvest? The harvest is bringing people to eternal life. That is where the joy is in doing God's business, going out to the harvest. And whether we're planting seed just at the beginning, just just gently drip feeding someone and planting the seed or whether it's further along we continue to plant and witness to you or whatever or whether it comes to the very last bit where actually we have the privilege of leading someone into the kingdom it's the planter and the harvester work together and it says oh what joy there is between the planter and the harvester alike god wants us to be involved he wants us to be involved in our community god wants us to really make a difference in this community god wants us to, to, um, to realize that there's a, there's some, he wants us to waken up and look around that there's a harvest. He had said this before to the disciples. He had said the harvest is great, but the workers are, are few. And it's still the same. How often we realize that where are the people to go out? And we need to be doing it, not only as a group in church, but individually. We need to be harvesting. We need to be planting. God wants us to waken up and look around. But this woman... 
The disciples, he was telling the disciples on a repeated, he kept telling them, but this woman didn't have to be told. This woman had already gone into the harvest field and she'd already run into her destiny. She was free through God's love. This woman was going for it. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. And true freedom is powerful. It's a gift. It's a treasure. We should not take our freedom, our spiritual freedom, for granted in this country. We need to know that freedom. But the freedom that God gives is to be treasured. It's a gift from him. He wants us, he wants us to know that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5 and 1. You know, earlier in the earlier service, someone gave a word that people were taking off. In here, they were taking off a kind of a, a yoke of slavery. And they were, but as they were going out the door, they were putting it back on again. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be free and he wants us to continue. Because Jesus came and died to set us free. Freedom from hatred. Freedom to love God. Freedom to receive God's love. And to love each other. To, get, to screw up that record of wrong and to throw it away. And to love each other no matter what to bless each other, even those who have hurt us or done stuff to us, that we can actually be free to love them and free freedom to love ourselves. God wants us to love ourselves in a healthy way, that he made us to be just who we are. Freedom changes our lifestyle. Freedom is not the right to do as we please, but it's the opportunity to do what's right. That's what Peter Marshall said. I love that. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right restrictions. You know, if everybody just is uh, going to do their own thing, that's what the world thinks is freedom, that you can do whatever you like. That's, that's the world's idea of freedom. That's not true freedom. The Bible, the book, God's book of life, gives us the secret of the restrictions that will actually are the liberating restrictions. God wants us to know his word that we might have liberating restrictions that will set us truly free. God loves us too much to indulge our every whim. Max Lucado said that. God loves us. He knows what's best for us and he wants us to trust him. He wants us to be free to worship in spirit and truth. He wants us to be free to leave the past behind and to move forward with him. He wants us to be our true selves. He wants us to be so free that we can actually be the person that he designed us to be because he created each of us for purpose. And, and even through the suffering and the stuff that we go through or the circumstances of life, he shapes us because he wants us to be free to be the person that he sees and he, he wants us to fulfill the destiny and he wants us to move into the plans that he has for us. Freedom to be a witness for Jesus, not only to speak about him, but to shine for him, to let his love shine through us, that we might be reflectors of Jesus and free to change a community, that there's something happens when we are together, something happens when we are together as a group of people where we are actually anointed to change a community, and God wants to do that for us. I know I'm coming near the end, I'm winding up. Seven years after this, Seven years, and I doubt, I have no doubt in that seven-year period, this wee woman was telling everybody about that day she met Jesus at the well. Seven years later, a Jewish preacher called Philip, a Jewish preacher, not a Samaritan preacher, a Jewish preacher came down, and I believe because of the work that this woman had done to prepare the ground of the harvest, that he was able to come, and there was a complete revival in Samaria. Philip came, and it says he preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ onto them, the Messiah. And, and there was a total, total revival. And it says there was great joy in that city. A community had been set free 
by the love of Christ. Why? Because this woman met Jesus. He put himself out of the way to have this encounter with her, with her so that she could actually speak for him and prepare the ground. And this is what happened. And you know what? As we wind up, do you know what? People are still being set free through encounters with Christ. And I'm going to just tell you a little bit about one. Just someone who goes to this church. I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, and if you guess, that's okay. She knows I'm going to do this. And she's quite happy with it. She said she went away for a weekend. It was, it was the way weekend. I don't know if you know that's a Christian weekend. And she said it was a make or break because she wasn't in a good place. I knew this person. I'd spoken to her before she went away that weekend, just a couple of weekends ago. She was in a very dark place, wasn't able to feel or sense God's presence. She wasn't in a good, a good place. She says, I felt like walking away. And over the weekend, people were talking about the presence of God, but I couldn't feel it. And I was thinking of just leaving and going home. And on the Saturday morning, I got up early and went around the castle for a walk, and I kept hearing God saying over and over, who are you? And I remember crying and saying, I don't know who I am. Then he said, you are who I say you are. But that didn't mean much. And as the day wore on and people continued to talk about their God encounters, I thought, God, thanks for when I need you most, you haven't showed up. And part of me felt angry and part confused for as much as I'd threatened to walk away from God, I knew I couldn't live without God. On the Saturday night at bedtime, we were given letters from people we love and I got a card from Philip and Laurie. And as I read it, I cried because Phil said he could see me as a bird in a cage with no door. And that was exactly how I felt. I felt exhausted that I was flapping about trying to find my way out. I went to bed that night feeling hopeless and let down by God because I couldn't feel or hear him. The next morning we gathered for worship and we were asked to take a few moments to seek God in worship. So I closed my eyes and there he was. There he was. You know, we have God encounters and we're all unique. I'm not saying you have to have it like this, but God wants us to have encounters with him and he'll do it in a way that you'll understand, in a way that you can experience. He said, there he was standing in the cage with me. And as he put out his hand for me to hop onto, Jesus became the door of the cage. And when he turned, I was there in the middle of his big palm and he breathed on me and blew me out of the cage so I could fly. After this, she she was totally, her life, life has been totally transformed. She said the word just lit up to her again. It was, it was just so powerful. So she wrote in the quiet time with the Lord, she wrote this, this, this little poem, which I want to read to you. Fly away, my little bird, for I have set you free. I watched as you fluttered your tiny wings and searched for the door in the cage endlessly. Yes, I saw you. I watched the tears roll slowly down your cheeks. The door was not hidden. It was plainly in sight, but you searched in the natural without using your faith. It was in those moments when you fell on your knees and you cried, Father, I can't do this anymore. Please set me free. It was in those moments that my heart swelled with compassion when you surrendered it all, and I placed myself in that cage as the door. So my little bird... As you hopped onto my palm, you were wounded and tired from fighting alone. 
But some lessons can only be learned through pain, and my mercies are new every day. So with the breath that I gently blew on you, you lifted your wings and you flew high in the sky, soaring with the wind. So never forget, my child, as your father. I will always be here, watching from above. But my Holy Spirit will fly with you wherever you go. I believe God wants to have an encounter with us today. Maybe it'll be afterwards. Maybe it'll be when you go home. But I believe he wants to set you free, more free. I want more freedom. What I have is good, but it's not enough. There's more to be had. God wants to set us totally free. And last night I hopped into bed and I put the earphones in and I put my, my phone on to shuffle. And this song came on and I just worshipped God. I'm going to finish after I read this song. I just listened to these words in the dark through my earphones. Why should I feel discouraged? This is the old, you know, the old song that Whoopi Goldberg made famous in the Sister Act. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadow, shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, and his eye is on the sparrow. And he watches over me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. He loves you. He watches you. He's with you. He wants to be part of your everyday experience. He wants to give you fresh encounters with him. He wants to give you more gifts. He wants, he wants you to develop and to grow. He wants you to be a child that's growing. He wants to give you more, and it's there. He's saying, if you only knew the gifts that I have for you. Don't go away this morning if you feel that God wants you to come and get some prayer. He wants to give you more, and it's here. He paid for it on the cross, and he wants you to feel his love. Now, a lot of people talk about not feeling. I believe, yeah, you receive by faith, but there is a feeling, there's a feeling. And again this morning, I'm going to stop now, Phil, I promise you. Just as I was coming out this morning, I just sat down and put the headphones on again. And this song came on as a secular song. But you know, I just love this because um, it just really touched my heart. It's, it's a song from Adele. I can make you happy. Make your dreams come true. God's put dreams into you. He wants those dreams to come to pass. There's nothing, he says, that I wouldn't do. I'd go to the ends of this earth for you to make you feel my love. He already has come from the ends, ends of, not just the ends of the earth, he has come from the third heaven, down through outer space, down through the atmosphere, right down to earth. And he's right here, his spirit is right here today. And he wants, he wants to love upon you and to set you free. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.